Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and if you've not heard the previous 99 episodes of this podcast, it's a fairly simple idea. I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life that they would, if they could, preserve in a time capsule. They choose four things they cherish, but also one thing that they rather regret and would like to see the back of. We talk about these things and why they've chosen them, and then we put them in a time capsule and bury it. Well, supposedly. My very special guest for this episode is one of my favourite comedians. And I'm only saying one, so as not to offend the other comedians that have been guests on my time capsule. The truth is, he is my favourite. Although Channel 4's 100 greatest stand-ups only voted him the 10th greatest stand-up in the world. His name is Ross Noble. His largely improvised, surreal, stream-of-consciousness stage performances are unique and a joy to behold. He's been doing stand-up since he was 15, but he has become well-known through his regular appearances on such shows as Have I Got News For You, 18 appearances on QI, Just A Minute, and Sorry I Haven't A Clue. He's also presented a number of his own series, such as Ross Noble Goes Global and Freewheeling. In 2017, he was nominated for an Olivier Award for his performance in Mel Brooks' musical Young Frankenstein at the Garrick Theatre in London. He lives and works mostly in Australia now, currently appearing in Celebrity Apprentice Australia. His home is just outside Melbourne, in fact, and that's where I spoke to him. Well, he was there and I was in Tunbridge Wells, proving that Stephen Wright was correct when he said, it's a small world, but I wouldn't want to have to paint it. So, before we hear the wonderful Ross Noble, I have to explain some things that are referred to in this conversation that you may not know of. I started my career on a BBC radio comedy show called Radioactive, which then became KYTV when it moved to telly. 
I was also in a spoof pop band called the Heebie Jeebies, basically because we parodied the Bee Gees. This was all in the 1980s, a long, long time ago. And I only mention it so that when Ross mentions it in this podcast, you'll know what the bloody hell he's talking about. Anyway, that's enough from me. I hope you have fun listening to the wonderful Ross Noble. Yeah, all good. How are you? Very good, thank you, mate. How is Melbourne? Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. I'm not whinging, but I'm very lucky. I'm incredibly lucky. Yeah, we're all lucky, really. Yeah. No, I mean, Melbourne, what a yeah. gorgeous city. Yeah. What a fantastic place to be. And we're very excited that you are going to be our 100th guest. Yes. On my time capsule. Oh, pressure. I, no, well, you know, uh-huh. I've, been, I've been putting pressure on you for a while. <laughs> Let's do it. Right. <laughs> Let's this, do it. This better be good then. <laughs> and at the end okay. of it, I'll quote now what I'm going to say, which is... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Surprise me. I just want to know if you're going to forget. What? Because then I can surprise you by making you forget that I'm going to say it. That's what I want to do. All right, okay. Listen out for this phrase, okay? Right. Well, that was a waste of time. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how most of my conversations end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ross, we're going to do my time capsule, 100th edition. Exciting. And we're going to talk about five things from your life that you want to put into a time capsule. Yes. Now, you've heard this programme, haven't you? I have, yes. I've listened to uh, quite a lot of them, yeah. And I realised that, that quite, quite a lot of people, um, I find it quite hard to be serious about stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not a very sentimental person. And also, the other thing is as well, like some people, I've, I've heard like some people put in like concepts and memories and things that remind them of, you know, special times in their lives and stuff. You've had a lot of people, I remember David Mitchell putting in a tie and things like that. Mm. Specific objects. Well, it was quite hard for me because uh, basically... I lost everything I owned in a fire. My, I was, uh, I, I lived in a, I had a big bushfire come through, mm. and um, so everything I own is basically like eleven years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's that thing of like I don't, I don't really have anything from my, I don't have any like actual sentimental things from my childhood. Um, no, I mean I do have, I do have this, which is, um, which my kids bought me uh, not so long ago. Which is, uh, I don't know if you can see that. It's um, super supermodel telephone. <laughs> it's a telephone that's got a bra and pants on in it, in the shape of a supermodel. So yeah, yeah so that was a, that was a nice item because the, that's the, lovely. Yeah, well, of course, um, the wonder of this, the genius, I'm going to say, of yeah, this no, program, I'll give you that. Yeah, um, no reason why I shouldn't say that uh, is that we can find those things again, oh, even of if they're things yes. that are gone, destroyed. I can magic them up. Oh right, were. okay. And they go into the time capsule, and then there they are, saved. Oh right. Oh, I never thought of that. You can get things. Ah. ah. All right, I'm going to need three hours thinking time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I put my house, my old house, into the time capsule and then move back into it inside the time capsule? I did think about as well, I did think about actually putting time capsules into the time capsule. To screw everybody up. No, 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 no. I know, I mean, like, because so, when I was a kid, I loved time capsules. You know, I used to do it all mm. the time. But we used to put things in that were stuff that was cut out from, like, Look In magazine. Yeah. And we'd put it in there and bury it in the garden. And it would just <laughs> anger my dad who was trying to, you know, he was trying to dig the flower beds and he was just coming across biscuit tins full of shit. <laughs> so, but it would be quite nice because then people would go, oh, like, the, the future civilizations would go, oh, let's have a look. Let's have a look inside this time capsule and open it up. And there'd be a time capsule inside the time capsule and then you could just have smaller and smaller ones. Yes. But I decided against that because that would be stupid. 
Uh, the Blue Peter. Mm. Did you watch that when they dug that up? I did. In fact, I think they they planted several over the years. Uh, they were all, to a large extent, enormous failures, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, that, and that's what I loved about them. And I just seriously thought about putting the Blue Peter time capsule into this time capsule because, yeah, they, they opened it up and it was just full of rusty brown water. And nobody thought, you know what, do you think we should maybe just open it up, like, first? And then I thought, if imagine if, because that was live on TV, yeah. imagine if they'd just panicked and just gone, oh, I think... Petra and Shep are around here as well. Let's try. Let's find their coffins. They dug them up by accident. They just dug up Shep. And it was just, it was just a letter, a letter from John Noakes saying, "I'm terribly sorry. No one will ever know what happened between us." Just a tortoise shell. Yes, with Fred written on it. Yeah, but wasn't wasn't that what happened every year on? Um, do you remember like every year on Blue Peter, where they would like they would open up the oh and. Let's get let's get the tortoises out. And I think they used to have to do them in advance. They were just sort of like shells full of like tortoise like salsa. Yeah. <laughs> just around. And everybody writing in saying, wasn't it Fred on the other side of the shell last year? <laughs> yeah. So I decided I decided against I decided against putting time capsules at the time capsule. Um, but yeah. do you want do you want my first one? Shall I? Oh, I'd love to hear it, yeah. Okay. So the first thing, now this is gonna sound like, when I tell you this, you're going to go, you massive, arrogant bastard. Right? <laughs> um, it's a full-size model of me. You massive, arrogant <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say as well, now, I might have told you this uh, the last time I saw you. This mm. is a bit weird for me, right, because I was a massive radioactive fan, right? Massive. <laughs> I don't think you've ever told me that. I'm sure I did. I'm sure the first time I met you at all. So I was a massive, huge fan, radioactive and KYTV, like um. massive. To the point where I, this is why I'm so pleased to be doing this, right? To the point where there was a joke where Martin Brown gets asked, do you remember this about, uh, it was in the health one, uh, vitamins? Do you remember about this? I don't know. So it was like, um, tell us about vitamins. And it was, it's vita, <laughs> meaning life, and mins, meaning mins. So vitamins means Life means, right? That was the joke, right? And now every time, every time I take, literally every time I've taken a vitamin or somebody takes a vitamin or I see vitamins on a shelf, oh, no. I say out loud, life means. And people go, <laughs> what? And I go, and I've probably done that since I was about 12. Wow. So, yeah. But I don't know whether to be honoured or shocked. But, <laughs> no, but there's also, there's another radioactive link to hmm. what I'm about to, so... What I'm going to put in, right? You ready for this? My trophy cabinet, right? <laughs> now, now, just wait, right? Just wait because you're probably thinking. Because have you noticed, like in the lockdown, where you've got like celebrities appear on telly, and there seems to be a bit of a fashion for mm. just just putting the trophies up, sitting there. Oh, just oh, I've, oh, I've won a BAFTA. Oh, I've won a you know whatever it happens. Oh, I've won a People's Choice Award. I've got. Oh, a, Ross, I'm suddenly aware I mean? that in the background here, I've got a gold disc on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. I hadn't noticed that. But now I'm so I have. sorry. Is that heebie-jeebies? It is. Yes. It's Excellent. I'm so Look sorry. At that. Yes. No. I, no. No. I applaud. No, but that's. I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen <laughs> that. But I like that a lot. I like the fact. That, but what you've done 
is you've put it on the wall and that's clearly where it lives. Yes. As opposed to going, I'm going on Zoom. If you'd have taken that off and positioned it on top of the sofa. (laughs) On a frame by my head, yes. Wow. That's from Australia as well. So there's our connection. An Australian gold disc. Yeah, presented to us in Australia for... How many did you... Half a million sales. Isn't that a lot? You know what? Nowadays... (laughs) If you had done half a million actual physical records, mm. you would probably be the biggest band in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's the... Um, I was in a Billy Bragg pop video. And a pop video, listen to me. Sorry, I'm from the 1950s. <laughs> and uh, Neil Morrissey was in it as well. And we were talking about Bob the Builder. And one of the other people there just went, oh, yeah, I forgot you was Bob the Builder. Mm. And he goes, uh, I won a Brit Award for that. And he did. He sold so many copies of Can We Fix It? There used to be a thing where the Brits used to have that, and I think they stopped after that, where if you were the biggest selling record of the year, (laughs) you got a Brit Award. So literally, Neil Morrissey has a Brit Award as Bob the Builder. Like him playing a tiny builder. (laughs) But they never show that in the previous winners on the Brit Awards. They never show show that. Uh, Hall of Fame. Exactly, yeah. So no, so it's not not that, right? So I've got, you know, when I've been lucky enough to be involved in trophies to do with work, Mm. they're either melted somewhere in a skip or (laughs) they're uh, they're sort of away. I don't, they're in a cupboard. I don't have them on. So I've got these things here, which are, so I'm a a very uh, keen motorcyclist, right? I I ride dirt bikes Mm. and I race. I got into racing dirt bikes and it's, you know, it's my my sort of passion. And uh, so this one here, look, that's from the, uh, the Chalcom 10 hour enduro. And I look at that. That's it. I did 30 laps there. Second place. There we go. Nice, yeah. Second place. Not not first place, but uh, <laughs> I've got, what's that one? That's, uh, there you go, third place trophy there. And and we should explain to the listeners, these are not high quality items. Right? No. They're the sort of thing, if you go to the key shop. Yes. They can do engraving as well. It's the sort of thing that they have on their shelf, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. This one, this is made of Welsh slate. This is probably one of my... Equal joint sporting achievements. I won the 24-hour marathon club, and there's a race called the uh, the Dawn to Dusk, and you basically get on a dirt bike and you race around the Welsh mountains through rivers and streams, but you race for 24 hours without only stopping to refuel. Wow. And it, it took me five years to win it. And I'm not going to lie to you, that takes pride of place in my office and all of the awards I've won for like, you know, comedy and that I don't have on display. <laughs> that I'm the most proud of. And then I've also got I've got this as well, which is um so this do you remember Kickstart? Do you remember the, yeah, the, I do, yeah. the show is riding over obstacles and stuff? Yeah. So this little thing here, this like pewter whiskey bowl, mm-hmm. you get that if you finish the Scottish six day trial. It's uh six days of, of riding across moors and over obstacles, and it's the most technically difficult motorcycle event in the world. And that there is the finisher's trophy. It doesn't seem like much, but to <laughs> anyone that's into trials riding, it's like, I don't know how you describe it. If you, if you were into golf, right, if you're hmm. into golf and you, and there was an event where you had to play against the best golfers in the world, yeah, and say like 300 golfers entered, about 75 drop out because they physically couldn't do it. 
and you just managed to finish the thing, <laughs> you know, as like a recreational club golfer. So like winning the best amateur at the Open and those sort of things. I wouldn't go that far. But okay. It would be like turning up to a Formula One race with your own car and then going, <laughs> you're never going to win because you haven't got the skill, but... Yeah, give it, give it a go. And I've got this box. I've got this little wooden box. And I've got, and this is so sad, isn't it? But look, I did a great North run and I finished wow. that without dying. And again, there's thousands of them and people, will, that, that'll end up in the bin. So I've done, I've, I've sort of done quite a lot of these, like, like ridiculous. I got like this, I did this one. I did this, which was, a, this is the Anzac Challenge. It's like one of these ultra run things. Yeah. I pride myself on like doing these things without much practice. But the reason I mention these, right, is because uh, I like doing, like, ridiculous sort of physical challenges um, mm. just for a laugh, you know. But this was the link, I was going to say, the radioactive link. There was a joke, it was a marathon thing. Yeah. And the, do you remember the joke with it, the suit of armour? Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> I know this is a long time ago. There was a joke about, uh, they talk about runners hitting the wall and you just say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so every time I've done any of these, like you know, and I, you know, if people go, "Oh, you're you're like a runner," I'm like, "Nah, just I just enter them for a laugh every now and again, you know, with wow. very little training." And um, <laughs> so the upshot is, is that every time I've done any sort of really sort of long runs, every time I go, "Oh, this is really painful," and I don't know if I can go on. Yeah, I think of you in a suit of armor, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm sure there'll be people listening to this. He will do the same thing. He will hit that point where they'll go, oh, God, I can't run anymore. And they'll remember this conversation. They'll think of me thinking of you in a suit of armour. <laughs> I'm sure this is your obsession with these things is because you clearly find comedy too easy. You don't even <laughs> think about it. And I think the other thing is as well is that what I realised, like, with the... Because um, I used to collect stuff a lot, you know, like, before the fire and everything. And one of the things that I realised was is that basically everything you own, like, as soon as you die... Now, fair enough, your friends and family might, you know, might treasure it to a certain degree. But it made me realise that you're sort of just the curator of a collection, a museum, a collection mm -hmm. of shit that nobody cares about you know yes i spent the weekend playing with my granddaughter yeah. with her going through a bag of all the jewelry that my mother had in her room that i brought home with me when she died and it's the sort of stuff that really should have just gone to the charity shop yeah 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 and now years later somebody does appreciate it actually she really loved it and then she found a ring that we all thought where did that come from it looks like a massive diamond ring oh wow and I looked at it and I said to my wife, I think this might be a real thing. She said, well, I think it's got a hallmark on it. Uh, and then I put my glasses on. I said, yeah, it's got a hallmark. It says M&S. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I agree with you that all these things that we surround ourselves with, they're only important to us. Yeah. But I've, I've got in the same box, I've got, uh, I went to Afghanistan, you know, to do some, uh, you know, entertain the troops and that, you know, because yeah. they love a laugh the Taliban. <laughs> and um, the, um, and I've got these, um, you know, and the, you sort of visit these different the different regiments and stuff, and then they uh, they very nicely they sort of give you these 
commemorative coins, you know. Wow. You know, I got this this one here. I got this from the Special Forces guys. You know, look, that's, that's from the SAS guys. With their badge on? Yeah. And I, I quite like the fact that when I die, the kids will be going through all this crap and then they'll find all these, like, Special Forces coins and stuff and they'll go, hang on. <laughs> What was he up to that we didn't know about? This secret life. Yeah, they think I'm some sort of war hero rather than, you know, a modern-day George Formby. You've got to get one or two FBI or MI5 things and put them in there. Yeah. Just hints to it. So that when they open it up, they go, oh, my God, he was James Bond. Yeah, like some fake passports and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. With different names. Yeah, Pascal Dupont. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to do that. If I get terminally ill. My final days will be spent falsifying a, a secret life I never had. Covered beautifully by pretending to be a comedian. Yes. We always wondered what that tour of Moscow was about. Well, it's funny you should say that because I did a radio programme to do this show where I was going to gigs like all around the world. Yeah. And we did uh, gigs in China. We just went in as tourists. Should I be saying this publicly? We went in as tourists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this. It went out on the BBC. Of course, I can see mm. this public. So basically, we went in there and we had all the recording equipment. It was all, you know, BBC stuff. And basically, we went in there as tourists and did a show which was not approved by the Chinese government. We got the recordings and we left. And thinking about it now, we could have quite easily been arrested as spies, <laughs> yeah. which would be a hell of an end to the show. But <laughs> we saw the gig and we're keeping him. <laughs> It was terrible. <laughs> we're locking them up. Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, we're going to take your trophy cabinet, which is yeah. really just a big pile of medals and things all bundled together, really, isn't it? I like the folly of it, you know? Yeah. Because I was never any good at sport at all at school. You know, I'm not really a competitive person, so, mm. yeah, I quite like it. All right, then, lovely. We're going to put that into the time capsule, your trophy cabinet. So that's your first item, Ross. Yes. So what's number two? Number two... Um, have you ever visited a gold class cinema? No. Have you heard of such a thing? No. What is it? I mean, I was thinking about putting Australia in because I, you know, obviously I, I sort of fell in love with the place, and and you know I've lived here quite a bit on and off over the mm. past few years. But there's a thing in Australia. You know how you get your regular cinemas, and you know in the UK you, there's some of them those curzon ones where they'll, you know, they have like a bit of a sofa and they'll bring you a drink. Yeah. While you you know, while you sit and watching. Australia has gold class in every suburban cinema there's a special section, a smaller cinema with reclining lazy boy chairs <laughs> and you can fully recline and when you go in they do like not just a selection of beverages, you can get food, but it's not like you know, it's not like people just making loads of noise and stuff. They bring you the food. The chairs are all spaced out. Mm. There's a little table. It's basically a restaurant menu. <laughs> and then they bring it to you over the course of the movie. So, like, one of, like one of my biggest annoyances with a, you know, you got a regular cinema, because I love the cinema. It's, it's, since I was a kid, it's one of my, my favourite, favourite things. Mm. Not just movies, but the whole experience of it. And one of my biggest annoyances is I like to watch the trailers but when you get an ice cream, nowadays you got sometimes 20, 25 minutes of trailers. And if you go 10 minutes before, your ice cream's either melted when the film starts mm. or, or you've already eaten the ice cream and that's no good. I don't want to be, you know, 
it's gone. I don't want that. So, yeah. So gold class, you go along, you sit in your seat, you fully recline. Some of them, village cinemas, give you a blanket if it's a little bit chilly with the air conditioning (laughs) on. Especially on a blazing hot summer's day, you know, he's just like, you know, it's too hot to be outside. He's going there nice and cool. And then you order, you order the food and they bring it throughout the film. And when my wife and I first met, like one of our first dates was to go to the Gold Class Cinema and uh, we went to see uh, U571, the um, oh, yeah, yeah. submarine movie starring John Bon Jovi. Yeah, the one where they claimed that the Americans found the Enigma. That's right, where, exactly. Where it, it was the British. Very much so. I mean, it was a terrible film. It's mm-hmm. an absolutely terrible film. And um, John Bon Jovi was one of the uh, was one of the heroes of it. You know, he's not had an illustrious acting career, but uh, and I said to the fellow, I said, "Please, could you bring me a lemon squash?" The first time John Bon Jovi appears, <laughs> and he wrote down a piece of paper, and I went, "And a bowl of Maltesers." When the first depth charge goes off, and I forgot, and I was sort of half joking, yeah. And literally sat there, boom, <laughs> Maltesers. So he waited. Wow. He literally waited, boom, Maltesers. Like that, you know? <laughs> the uh, we're gonna get the Enigma machine. There you go. There's a nice lemon squash for you. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd sort of, you know, I'd, I'd just begun courting, and then we were going to the, the gold class, and then. When Crocodile Dundee three yeah. came out, which is terrible, it was like terrible. That, it makes <laughs> it makes U five seven one look like Citizen Kane. You know, <laughs> he's in LA and he stabs an animatronic snake at a fun. It's terrible, a terrible. <laughs> thing. I think Paul Hogan had already started having work done, and um, so there was fifteen seats in the Gold Class Cinema. So I booked all but two of those 15 seats because two of them had already gone. Mm. And then exclusively comedians who would probably not give Crocodile Dundee 3 the respect it deserves. (laughs) We went to the cinema, but at the time, none of us were known. So we all go into the cinema. There's two people in that cinema who are on a date, right? Yeah. Clearly Dundee fans. Yes. The rest of the cinema was filled with comedians who these people didn't know knew each other. And it was a <laughs> such a beautiful thing. We sat there. <laughs> and even a terrible movie is beautiful in gold class, right? And the lights start going down. And there's a, a, an Australian comedian called Peter Hellier. And the lights went to dark. Before anything happened, Peter stood up in front of the whole cinema and just went, Good luck, everybody. <laughs> and everyone applauded. And this couple were, what just happened? What, what, why? <laughs> and they obviously thought we were like the biggest Crocodile Dundee fans ever. And you could just sense, you could just sense as the film went on, their crushing disappointment. It was like we'd gone to the premiere. <laughs> it was, but yeah, but even cinemas. Even you go right out to, you know, the most far-flung places in Australia and it's just, it's just a beautiful experience. You just, you lie back. Yeah. And then at my last house, I built a cinema to replicate the gold classic. (laughs) 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 I had like recliner things and it was magnificent. Have some young lad come in. Where's my Maltesers? But I love it. Before we had kids, it was just that thing. I'd just say to the wife, I'd go, come on. Should we go gold class? 
Uh, Let's go gold class, you know? And she'd be yeah. like, there's no decent films on. I go, it doesn't matter. And now I take the kids to the gold class. And uh, my youngest daughter is eight. She's a very small child. Mm. And there's too much room on that recliner for it's too much. She's just she's this tiny little child <laughs> sliding about. <laughs> exactly, like first class seat on a plane to her. She loves it. So yeah, brilliant. So yeah, and if it's never taken off in the UK. Why is it not a thing in the UK? We don't like to indulge ourselves, obviously. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah. Just Hessian, Hessian bean bags. Because anybody with, who could afford gold class doesn't want to be surrounded by people who can't afford gold class. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. There's a separate entrance, though. Actually, I think there's probably a separate room. We just don't know about it. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. You know what this country's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, yeah. I'm definitely going to put gold-class cinema seats and the whole experience, the whole cinema will go in there. And not only that, I'm going to have John Bon Jovi struggling through the submarine. The water's yeah. rising. It's getting desperate. And people are saying, John, John! Turn back, turn back. And he'll go, no, no, we're halfway there. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you. Love it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll appreciate yeah. the setup of that joke. Thank you. And not only that, that's why you got that gold disc. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that the gold disc's up there. I genuinely <laughs> love it. I've got, I have to say, I don't know if you can see, somebody left that on stage. It was a gift on stage in Swindon. And, and every Zoom call I do, I, I have that. It's, it's you as a centaur. Uh, it's me as a centaur, and there's a flying French fancy just going uh, over my head, and it's a genuinely amazing piece of art. And, I, and I've also got there, that's the face of Christa Berg <laughs> on a spine. <laughs> it's a human spine with Christa Berg's head on it. Yes. And you probably think, what? Is, is that payback for Lady in Red? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've de-spined him. I've de-bodied him. In fact, Lady in Red, I won't put this in, but it does have a it does hold a special memory for me because there used to be a leisure centre. I'm from a, a, a new town. It's just outside of Newcastle, about eight miles north of Newcastle in Northumberland, called uh, Cramlington. And they used to have a leisure centre called Concordia Leisure Centre. And it was one of these, like, you know, when it was built, state-of-the-art, you know, it was like a kind of a lagoon-style pool, you know, mm -hmm. wobbly edges and slides. And again, like years before anyone thought of health and safety, they had these palm trees. They had real palm trees in planters. You know, so you just, there you are, you're in Northumberland. You know, it was like Barrett home houses, just like miles and miles of identical houses. And then you walk, what? Am I in the lagoon? And <laughs> these, these palm trees. But what happened was, is for some reason, the temperature was way hotter than it should have been. <laughs> And kids were just fainting all the time. And it was so humid, so hot. It felt like that film Rescue Dawn, you know, it was like everyone had malaria. It just felt like you were in this sort of, this tropical nightmare. And because of the heat, because they kept the heat cranked up all the time, as well as people fainting, the trees grew at a sort of a freakishly, like an, an alarming rate. So palm fronds used to snap off and they would fall into the pool. So kids would be swimming, and there would just be, like, bits of palm tree falling. With these dagger edges. Exactly. Shooting down, stabbing kids in the back. And, it, you know, the, the kids that weren't stabbed were basically had heat stroke. I remember seeing a kid once curled up in a ball 
in the foot bath. You know, he used to walk through the foot bath to get yeah. into the pool yes. just to try and get his temperature down. And then there was there was one there was one time I was there, and a fella came out with his big long pole with a saw, just like a saw, like taped to it, and was sawing off the palm fronds off the tree. <laughs> you know, thinking that's going to kill a child at some point. <laughs> and then I saw him put them in the bins round the back, and then. The delight of walking through suburban Northumberland in the winter time, carrying a bit of a palm tree. Uh, I turned some hair. Anyway, I used to take my kids to water parks like that. Yeah, and I loved them, but they were mad. Yeah. You'd have sort of people in great big rubber rings going off water slides and shooting through the air and landing into a pool full of other children <laughs> on these. Just yeah. there were limbs being broken all over the place. Great fun. Have you seen this documentary called Class Action Park? No. Oh, write this down. Class Action Park. In New York, there was this guy and he he was banned as a trader on Wall Street. So he set up a water park, like a fun park. Mm. But this guy didn't want to pay for any insurance and he designed everything himself. And his idea was this had to be the most extreme action adventure park that there was. <laughs> and he would get people that weren't like Disney would turn these people down because they were too dangerous mm. and they would design rides for this guy. And there's a bit <laughs> at the start of the documentary where they, they build this loop, the loop water slide. And it, you see the pictures of it and it looks like the most lethal thing ever, like a proper stunt. And that everyone's going, I'm not going on that. It looks dangerous. So he started paying the employees. He said, oh, just here's $300. Just, just to, so he would pay. He said, if you get to the bottom, we give you $300. So, the, so they're chucking these kids down. And the first two or three kids that went in there <laughs> – like were straight to hospital, like broken bones, oh, no. like spinal injury, like sm- <laughs> some kid, like like their faces, they would come out with their faces just covered in blood and they'd come out the end and like you go, right, there's your couple hundred dollars off to the hospital. <laughs> and then, so, th- so then inside this loop the loop, they put foam in there so that people wouldn't break their arms and legs. So these people are coming down and they're coming out the other end and now they're not getting bruised and bashed. But as they're coming out, they've got all like lacerations on their body (laughs) and they're going and these people are getting into it and they say, why have they got lacerations? And they couldn't work it out. And what it was, was the first few people that had gone down had had their teeth knocked out. And then when they put the foam matting in, the teeth were in the matting. Oh, my God. So as the other people were coming down, they were basically being <laughs> lacerated by the broken teeth. <laughs> they were being gnawed. The, yeah, gnawed to death. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, class action park. It's oh, br- I've got to look at that. The closest I can think of that is a place that I used to take my children to. Obviously, I was a very good parent. But I'd come to a place called Fun with a Bun on the A21. Fun with a Bun? <laughs> Yeah, you've got a bun with a burger in it for the yeah. entrance fee. And then there was a farm that somebody had obviously just converted great sheets of rubber yeah. attached to the top of barns. And you'd yeah. climb up to the top of the barn and then it had a hose spraying on it so it was yeah, wet. Yeah, and yeah, then you'd yeah. shoot down this thing and at the bottom were just hay bales. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you'd go down it and crash into them. Well, we went there a few times and almost every time some <laughs> child broke a limb. yeah. My kids loved it. They really loved it. They were so disappointed when it was finally closed down by health and safety. Well, that's that's one of the things in this class action part. This is what a lot of people are doing. There's a lot of people saying, yeah, sure, people, I won't give away what happens, but yeah, <laughs> sure, some dark stuff happened there. But, you know, it's, you know. 
We're all going to watch that. Right, let's move on to item number three. Oh, yeah, oh, God, are we on it? Number three? <laughs> yes, we're playing this game oh, still. God, here we go. Danger. All right, number three. Yeah. Uh, I would like to put in, and it sort of links, it links to, uh, oh, that's how we got onto this. I was talking about bloody Christopher, then we yeah. got onto the... The thing with the doing the, that's right. It was leisure centers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You sound so, surprised. These are all conversations with you. Yeah, it's yeah, what yeah. always so, happens. Well, this links. It does link. Mm. So I would like to put in charity shops because, like that, there. Where else can you buy a cheap spine? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I absolutely love charity shops, and it's got nothing to do with being a cheapskate. It's got nothing to do with. A bargain. It's not that the bargain aspect of it. That's a, a side thing. And again, it sort of links back to what we're talking about. You know, most of the stuff in the charity shops is, again, it's dead men's clothes. <laughs> it's yeah. sort of, you know, it's stuff which is either, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win. They're these sort of like um, temples to the eclectic. <laughs> and at the same time, you buy stuff. It's going to a really good cause, you know. So mm. it's sort of like everybody everybody wins with a charity shop. Yeah. You know, especially in the UK, you know, towns and cities are becoming these homogenised places and everything's exactly the same. Yeah. And that's what I love about charity shops. I mean, there's certain things, like, like for a while there was a real thing where every charity shop you went into, you could get a porcelain shire horse <laughs> pulling a miniature cart. Because all of the people who bought those items when they were fashionable or got them as wedding presents all died at the same time <laughs> and it flooded the market with Shire horses yeah. with carts on the back. And what I love about it is, um, you know, like there was this very funny comedian, Dave Thompson used to do a great gag where he'd pull out a, a Ford Fiesta brochure and he said, oh, i got the new Ford Fiesta brochure because... I just want to check out to see what I'll be driving in 15 years' time. <laughs> and I think that's what I love about it. I'm a, I've spent many, many hours on tour just wandering about charity shops, just get, you know, you make these little discoveries that you just, oh, that's, a, that's just a one-off, you know? Yeah. And what's brilliant about it, I always think, is that you see it and you suddenly get very, oh, my God. Look at that. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. But it's probably been sitting in that shop for three weeks and everybody else has gone, well, look at that piece of tat. Yeah, you go, oh, my God, I can't. But one of the best finds ever was this big laundry basket full of Lego. Oh, brilliant. They didn't know what they had on their hands. They had no idea. If they'd even just, <laughs> they'd even just Googled Lego, there's about £2,000 worth of Lego in this basket. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, sure. You say twenty pounds. I'm going to give you fifty. <laughs> yeah, even then, I'm still robbing you. You know, I've, I've um, done exactly the same thing. I did actually find a painting in a local charity shop, and I said, "How much is this?" And they said, uh, "Oh, ten pounds." I'm afraid. And I said, "But it's an original oil painting, and it's signed, and it turned out to be a, a quite collectible artist, an Italian artist who was painting wow. in the fifties, and it was worth about three thousand pounds." Whoa. And they were setting it for 10 quid. So I never went back and told them, obviously. Of course not. No, I did. I went <laughs> I went back and said, this is how much it's worth. So, you know, I'd take it off the shelf and, and send it for an auction. Oh, wow. So they've started to learn that, haven't they, finally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why, to get the real interesting stuff, you've, you've sort of got to go, 
you got to go with car boot, really. Yeah. Like I say, it's not the bargains and it's not just acquiring the stuff, especially on tour. You know what it's like? You go to a different city and you've sort of, you've been there however many times and then you just see a charity shop you've not seen before and think, aye, aye. There's half an hour down, you know. <laughs> Hang on a minute. This is Cheltenham. This could be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I do do the same thing myself. It's a very good way of filling your time. But actually what is great about it is that it's actually not about finding things that are worth £50,000 and buying them for £5. It's finding things that you would never find anywhere else. Yeah. And you don't realise that you want it until you see it. Yeah. And again, it's just about the age of people who are dying. Yeah. You know, you watch a film and it's set in the 60s and everything, it's set in 1965 and everyone drives a car from 1965. Yeah. And you go, well, no, like films in the 60s would have been mostly stuff from the 50s mm-hmm. and 70s films would have 60s stuff. They make it match the year that it's in. So people walk yeah. into a house and they're all sitting in bubble chairs. Exactly. And you go, well, hardly anybody had a bubble chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think walk past the charity shop, wander in, take a little photograph, see who's <laughs> dying. <you know? laughs> I want two old ladies who mean well but have no concept of customer service, no. how to operate a till, what things are worth, when Norman's getting back so they can double-check with Norman. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I want, you know. Yeah. I think it says Clarice Cliff. I don't know what that means. It's very yeah. gaudy. I don't like it myself. That's the fellow who died. <laughs> Clarice, yes. It reminds me of the um, of the Tommy Cooper joke, which I love, which is where he says he found a, a an old violin and an old painting and it takes it to the auctioneer. And the man says, well, what you got there is a Stradivarius and a Picasso. So, unfortunately, Picasso made terrible violins and Stradivarius, et cetera, et cetera. And there's your joke. Brilliant. It's a great yeah, joke. Great. I heard a brilliant story. Uh, this is Barry Cryer's story. He's like, so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nicking it off him. But, you yeah. know, it's not like Barry's short of a few anecdotes, you know. No. He told me this story about, you know, I was, Tommy Cooper used to do that thing where he'd walk up to somebody the porter or whatever at a, at a hotel, and he'd put something in the hand, he'd go, have a drink on me. Mm. And they'd look down, it was a tea bag. Right? <laughs> yeah. And he still that all the time, but apparently he was in a hotel once, and um, Tommy Cooper sat, and it was breakfast time, and he turned to the waitress who went, uh, can I have a whiskey? And the, and the waitress went, oh, no, the bar's closed now, sir. He went, tell him it's Tom. I want a whiskey. And <laughs> she goes, goes away, talks to the manager. And uh, it comes back and says, oh, yeah, I've spoken to the, spoken to the manager. He said, uh, you make an exception. He brings a whiskey out, gives it to him. And apparently Cooper poured it on his cornflakes. <laughs> and the, and the, the waitress just looked in shock. And apparently looked at it and he just went, see, milk, very bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> and have you heard that story about him playing Milton Keynes Bowl with um, Sting? No. The police were at the height of fame and uh, they went, well, you know, Milton Keynes Bowl, thousands of people, we can book anyone we want. So they booked Tommy Cooper. <laughs> There's a weird sort of history of like comedians supporting rock acts, you know, like yeah, Billy yeah. Connolly. Billy Connolly used to support Elton John mm-hmm. for years in America and like uh, Matt Lucas used to support Blur on tour, mm. you know, and there's stories of just it going very badly wrong. You know? <laughs> and um, so anyway, so Tommy Cooper goes out there and he's on stage at Milkins Bowl and people are just throwing this stuff <laughs> oh, off, no. off, off. 
and his props are everywhere. And apparently, the story goes, I'd love this to be true, he wa apparently walked past the police and they're ready to go on and there's just carnage everywhere and everywhere. Off, off, off. And apparently he walked past <laughs> and he went, follow that. <laughs> <laughs> that must be true. Oh, oh that's got to be true. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Follow that. Yeah. We were asked to uh, perform on the same bill as the police. Oh, yeah. With the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead, I think we played Leeds University or something because we got paid for doing that. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but you, I think, I just don't, don't think people realise just how, because it went properly insane for you, didn't it? It was like you became like a, well, a gold disc. I, I, I think that's one of the awards. It was insane, um, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely what was mad. the biggest, what was the thing where you went? Strange enough, it was in Melbourne where yeah. we were asked to play the Australian version of Live Aid. <laughs> and, wow, amazing. And they had almost every top Australian act, Crowded House and all those sort of men at work and all those bands. Yeah, and then yeah, they had yeah. uh, In Excess coming over from New Zealand and things like that. Brilliant. But they felt like they were local bands and we were an international <laughs> band. Brilliant. So Brilliant. when they sent us the running order, we were top of the bill. Brilliant. Which is absurd. The footage must be out there, though. Oh, I suppose it must be. That one would make a great documentary. You should do that. You should do a documentary about, you know, like one of those behind-the-music type things. You should yeah. do a documentary now going back because <laughs> you've got the footage. Oh, no, we've got some terrible footage. We've got the oh. footage of us standing in front of uh, Sydney Harbour Bridge for some Saturday morning television show, basically all wearing large floppy black wigs and doing the Jacksons. Ah. It's not great. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Australia is they didn't really get the message about what was acceptable and what's <laughs> not acceptable until I would say about three years ago, <laughs> like even now, there's an act in, and I, I heartily recommend that you that you look it up on YouTube. There's a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. I've done it. Was, yeah, I've been on it. You, of course you have, of course. Yeah, loads <laughs> yeah, of yeah, times. Yeah, they bumped in excess to put us on there. <laughs> they did a thing on there, and this was not long ago. This was probably only 10 years at the most, and it was an act that came on, called themselves the Jackson Jive, and <laughs> oh, no. they put, honestly, full blackface. This is a live show, right? Oh. This is not long ago. I mean, they've probably taken it off YouTube now, but it's horrific. It's the most racist thing you've ever seen. But what's brilliant is that Harry Connick Jr. is, is it's it was a talent segment, and Harry Connick Jr. was judging the talent show. Oh, no. And Poor everyone's man. laughing their heads off and go, oh, this is amazing, this is hilarious. And then it comes back after the break, and Harry Connick Jr. literally just goes... I'm not having any part of this. This is the worst sort of racism in my country. We're doing, and like he literally, he be, he basically has a go at Daryl Summers, the host, and he goes, "Not acceptable. I don't want any part of this. Zero points." And he fully, like he fully slap, and he just like has a go. And it's <laughs> and what's brilliant is just see because it's like hey, it's like you know it's like Noel's house party. You know, it's like hey everyone, let's just come oh on. My God. And Harry Connick Jr. is just going absolutely not this is racist and we're not having anything to do well well done him yeah and it's so funny but the, the funniest bit is just seeing these blokes who have been called out and also the host who's just have he's like we're having a party no 
you are a terrible human being and you all should be ashamed. And it's, it's brilliant. Is that Daryl? Is it the same Daryl that used to present it 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's about to do a comeback. He's just about to host um, the Australian version of Strictly wow. over here. Did you ever run into Bert Newton? Bert Newton, yeah. He's still alive. Just had his leg amputated oh, this week. Oh, poor Bert. He was on the Don Lane yeah. show, was he, Bert Newton? That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still still going strong. We went on the Don Lane show and he came and saw us beforehand and said, Look, you know, they give me questions to ask, but we don't need it, we just riff. And we came and sat down and he said, so uh, what have you been doing in Australia? And I think Angus Deaton said... Don, that is a, that is a really, really interesting question. Um, of course, a more interesting question is, and then he asked his own question, and Don Lane absolutely panicked at that moment because it, it wasn't the sort of answer he expected. To see him That's scrabble brilliant. for his script. There's nothing like, especially on live TV, there's nothing like seeing a presenter who's just got the look of panic in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. You know, that sort of just, I love it. I love that thing. Of the, so tell us about the thing. And you start going off and they, you can see them just going, oh no, I don't, I, I don't know where this is going. You can just see that. You can see that. that I'm sure you've seen that you know? lots of times. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. When you can audibly hear the producer in the head, you know, in the earpiece, just and they're like they're just not listening at all right we have to take a break at some point for some adverts and this seems as good a point as any or even maybe the best point we'll be back in a jiffy to use a good old australian term life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus, absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good day. Right, let's get back to Ross Noble, where we might find out what he wants to put in a time capsule, but we will certainly find out other things that are just as interesting. It's always awkward, isn't it, when you get somebody on Twitter that goes, uh, so he said, can you follow me? Mm. So I want to hear his. Can you follow me? So I followed him and I sent him a message. I just said, I'm really sorry. I'm busy that <laughs> night. What can I help you with? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. No, it, you've got to limit it somehow, haven't you? Well, it's it's good because being over here, when it's like this, this is not it's not too bad because I can do, you know, it's like sort of nine, ten o'clock at night. Mm. Once the kids are in bed and my wife's a bit knackered, she turns in and I just, what are you up to? I say, I'll just be up till four. I'm just going to bang out a couple of podcasts <laughs> for the UK, you know? So, Brilliant. Yeah. Well, we should move yeah, on, though. Otherwise, you'll be here. You will yes. be here till four. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. So we're going to put right. charity shops from all over the world in, into your time capsule, and you can browse away to your heart's Lovely. content. That's three items we put in there. What's number four? I mean, so this is this is an actual physical item. Um, so I don't know if you can see this. There's a. Uh, this is my signed picture of Laurel and Hardy. Oh, my word, yes. Dressed as Scottish soldiers. Which film is that from? It's uh, a very uh, good point. That is, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should probably look into that. So this, right, is... Uh, so obviously this is a, it's a signed picture of Laurel and Hardy, but this is, this is what, uh, it's what I love about it. So this used to belong... To Robin Williams. No. Yes. So, yeah, so this used to be up. Robin Williams used to have this picture of Laurel and Hardy. So his comedy heroes, yeah. one of my comedy heroes, owned. So he was, you know, yeah. So it's, it's so when of, did you nick that from him? He didn't notice it was gone. Got it in a charity shop in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, after after he died, his, um, his wife was... Uh, yeah, his wife got rid of uh, a lot of his stuff, and uh, I bought that at a at an auction. Of um, um, I've also got I've I've got up there like I've got a I've also got a signed I've got a signed picture of uh, Evil Knievel that used to belong to Russell Crowe as well. <laughs> but the thing about this is, it's I just I just love the fact that like you would have no idea unless you saw the unless you saw the certificate. Mm that I have yeah. to say that it was officially belonged to Robin Williams. And and my plan with this, at some point, at some point I think I might uh I might give it to charity or I might give it to somebody. You want to find a young comedian who's just coming up now, who's just yeah. starting and, and follow their yeah. career, as it were. So in a way, mentor them yeah, yeah, yeah. in the hope that they make it and break through. And then they can have a certificate saying Signed Laurel and Hardy yeah. picture, owned by Robin Williams, then Ross Noble, and now owned by and then, me, whoever that person is, yeah. when they come through. Yeah, I think so. So I think this might become like, um, uh, yeah, I like the idea of it sort of becoming, I mean, that that implies I'd have to become a lot more popular. But, you know, <laughs> I love the fact that he would sit there in his house mm. and look at them and go... Oh, I, I, they're inspiring, and I, I look at him and go, "Wow, he's inspiring." I just think yeah. it's a, yeah, it's nice. Isn't it, it is really nice. Yeah. Did you ever work with him? Let me guess. He supported the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was supposed to. I was supposed to do a thing with him. I think about five years before he died. I was supposed to do a, a thing in America. And um, how annoying is this, right? I agreed to. I thought, oh, brilliant! Mm. I finally get to. Not just me and I get a chance to work with him. Yeah. So I signed the contracts and everything. And then um, the American visas were taking too long. So I'd agreed to do the show. I'd agreed to do the show. <laughs> but because the visas took too long, like I agreed to do it 
because I'd be working with him. But then because of the timing, he'd already done his stuff. Oh, no. and I never got, so yeah, so I never, uh, yeah, I, I never actually. I know that occasionally he's turned up at the comedy store players and, and done improv with them. Yes. Which must be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, he, he used to just, especially in San Francisco, he used to just, he would get up on stage like all the time and he would, so pretty much, I would say pretty much, I reckon 90% of comedians have probably either met him or worked with him and I never got to do <laughs> so it. You know? so, you've uh, got the rare accolade of being the one who hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he came over, I think, he, like yeah, him, and, him and Bill Bailey did a thing together. and um, But then, you know, they do say, ev- everyone that sort of knew him and, and worked with him just said that he was, uh, you know, the, the loveliest, gentlest mm. guy, you know, you know, like loveliest, guy you know yeah. but they always say to her don't meet your heroes you know well and it is very sad that the fact that um he clearly got to a point where he thought well this illness is going to be it's going to take me away and i don't want that well actually i think i, I well the, the latest thing was he, he he had a um he had that louis body dementia he mm-hmm. he had a he, he actually um because that was the other thing i thought was really sad about it was that people now think that he took his life because of depression or whatever, mm. but he actually had this sort of dementia, which was, um, so it wasn't that he did it out of depression. It was basically, it was the dementia that caused them to take. So you see what I mean? Yeah, he yeah, yeah. He didn't sort It wasn't of, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes it even more, I think that makes it even more tragic, mm. you know? But um, Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I saw that and I thought... Um, in fact, that auction it was it was you know selling off his stuff and um, for uh, it's you know charity. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of like the it was like a very very expensive charity show. <laughs> That's what it was like. Yeah, because uh, I was I was bidding on um, you know in uh, oh what's it called uh, Goodwill Hunting mm. in the office. There's a watercolor painting of the boat, and he talks about how his wife did it and. You know, yeah. and then Matt Damon's taking the piss out of it and he gets really angry. I don't slag off the picture and all that. That picture, which was actually painted by Gus Van Sant, that was auctioned off. So it was an on-screen prop, belonged to Robin Williams, done by the director, you know. So this thing, and I looked at it, it was it had a reserve, it had about like two grand on it or something. And I thought, oh, that's a that's a that's a hell of a yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'll go. So I started bidding on that. And it was like five grand, 10 grand, 15, mm. 20, 25. And it was just going up and up. And in the end, it went, it's just like a, a you know, watercolor. I think it went for nearly 100 grand. Wow. Yeah. And I went, yeah. whoa. I think I'll stick with some of the lessons. We'll go for Lauren and Hardy. So, uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. One of the episodes you've just put out with Josie Lawrence, lovely Josie, uh, she yeah. was talking about a Madonna that she has in her house. And she said it was right. used in some sitcom. It's got tubes and piping in the back and it, it made it look as if it was no, crying. No, the, the Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. The Peckham Madonna. Yes, well, yes. we're not sure. We're not sure if it's the Peckham Madonna or not because she's got a photograph of it and she's looked at the thing and she said, oh, no, the, the headdress that she's wearing doesn't look the same. I said, if you can verify it, then you need to insure it. Yeah, because those Robin... Here's the thing, right? Everyone says Del Boy's got the Robin Reliant, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Robin Regal, isn't it? Yes, a Reliant it is, yeah. Regal, yes. Mm. And uh, those now through the roof. Yeah, to buy those because of that. Uh, yeah, through. I'll tell you what I've got. Which um, this is a bit of fancy memory, but I'll turn this round. Right, hang on. Do you know what that is there? 
Oh, shit. Oh, I do recognise it. Where's it from? It's an original screen-worn costume from the John Travolta film Battlefield Earth. (laughs) (laughs) The science fiction film based on the writings of L. Ron Hubbard. (laughs) (laughs) And commonly regarded as not just one of the worst science fiction films ever made, but pretty much one of the worst films ever made. And that was screen-worn the full gear. So irresistible then, irresistible. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> when COVID struck and I was sat here and yeah. all of my work got cancelled for a year and a half and, the you know, I've never been out since I was 15. I've been mm-hmm. doing stand-up and I've been in and living since then. And for the first time ever, with a massive tax bill looming, <laughs> I thought... I thought I'll pay that off, and I've never been one for saving. I've not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not what you would call a, a, a responsible adult. <laughs> I was sat in here, looking at my costume from Battlefield Earth, thinking probably should have been a bit more careful with the cash. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've had a few people say that to me in these podcasts. Shane Ritchie yeah. has. Uh, the cart that Charlton Heston is taken away in on his front lawn in Planet of the Apes. I read about that. Mm. What an extraordinary... How did he end up with... He spent a fortune bringing it over from America. He bought it in an auction and it's now on his front lawn. And (laughs) is he a massive Planet of the Apes fan? He is and has been since he was a little boy, yeah. Interesting, because I Mm. used to have in my collection, I used to have a load of the original Planet of the Apes... Dolls. Oh, the, my you know, word. The, the figures. I should put you two in touch with each other. Yeah, I've, you know what? I've never met Shane Ritchie. Although I did I did read, which I thought was funny. There's a bit in Shane Ritchie's book, I think it's Rags to Ritchie, mm. uh, where he talks about, he talk, funny, he's talking about Robin Williams, where he met Robin Williams in the corridor at the BBC. And it's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever read. He basically said, uh, I asked him about playing Peter Pan because yeah. I was just about to play Peter Pan at the Wyvern Theatre Suite. <laughs> and I thought, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Robin Williams is in a Steven Spielberg film, and Shane Ritchie went, and have a guess, we're doing the same gig. <laughs> and like, what a nice man Robin Williams is to go, are you, are you insane? Are you actually? Yeah. But, yeah, I love Planet of the Apes, properly love it, and uh, not as much as Richie, clearly. No. Um, one, one of my, my favourite things, <laughs> I was asked many years ago, this was probably maybe 99, 2000, something like that, I was asked to write, a, do you want to write an album review of the new Lou Reed album? Right mm-hmm. now, I'm like I'm big into comedy. I'm not. I'm not a big music. I like a bit of music, you know. It's nice yeah. to have on while you know while you're in the bath or whatever. But um, no, I'm not. A, you know, I don't read the sleeve notes. And I thought, yeah, I'll write. <laughs> I'll write a Lou. And it's and, and I thought if Lou Reed had actually, if, or if anyone at the record company had read this, they would have gone. This bloke is like literally brain dead. Right. <laughs> I decided it would be hilarious to review the album and draw comparisons with each track between each track to an episode, not a film, an episode of the Planet of the Apes TV series. <laughs> so I go like, 
The soaring cellos on track two, reminiscent of when Burke and Verdon climbed on the glider and escaped the gorillas in their episode, you know, in the episode of Planet of the Apes, the TV. Track four, Planet of the Apes, the two is very like just the whole thing. And I and I got um Stuart Lee was on in a room around the corner from me at the time. So I literally said to Stuart, I went, do Sophia, I said, tell me what you think of these tracks. And then I wrote down the notes about them and then I just linked them to the Planet of the Apes <laughs> TV series and it went out. It was in the paper. And like, <laughs> so, the, so, so the record company must have got it and just gone. You know when they make up those press plaques, you know, you finish a tour or whatever and they make yeah. up the thing and they go, here's all of the reviews. And you can either, you chuck them in a drawer and say, oh, I don't want to see that. But imagine, imagine if Lou Reed was having like a, one of his, one of his darker moments and he thinks, you know what, you know what, I'm going to look through my reviews so I can, you know, that album was universally well received. Mm. And he flicks through and, this, and the, the album <laughs> plays second fiddle to episodes of the Planet of the Apes TV series. I mean, it's, it made me laugh, but what was I thinking? Oh, God, you've got to set it up with some journalist. So one day when he gets interviewed, they say, so um, I understand that you wrote all these tracks based around episodes of Planet of the Apes. Is that right? (laughs) And then then pull out, yeah, just on the off chance. You go, oh, not this again. Well, let's just watch that episode, shall we? Like, I've got it here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had just watched the entire... I just watched it and I was I was a bit obsessed at the time with the TV <laughs> series. Just pretty terrible, uh, but yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm yes. so glad that we've once again stayed on theme. Uh, yes. And, and uh, we're going to put your photograph of Laurel and Hardy from, we're not sure which film yet, but I'm going to look it up. Sons of the Desert. I think it might be Sons of the Desert, actually. Yes, it is. Is it? I'm sure it is. They join the Foreign Legion, don't they? Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but... I should have really checked that out, shouldn't I? But <laughs> no, I'm guessing, no. I'm guessing it, it does look like that, but I wouldn't want to start saying, oh, it's definitely from you that. You know, I mean, I think it's an important thing, but I don't think it's as important as the fact that it was owned by Robin Williams and signed by Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, yeah, that's That's a sure. fairly memorable thing. Yeah. So there we are. We've got one item left, Ross. So this yes. is the thing that you want to get rid of from your life. Yeah, all right. Mm. This is more conceptual than anything else, but... Um, I'm going to put in, and this is not just at my shows, but bad audience members, because it's never reflected, again, you're talking about reviews, it's never reflected in reviews the fact that the reviewers will never say, yeah, there's a dud crowd, that, you know? Mm. That's not the, that's that's, that's just me. (laughs) Oh, that's the excuse for your act, is it? No, (laughs) no, when I say bad audience, I'm not so much talking about, well, I am talking about people who, like, I'm talking about lack of enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. but mainly I'm talking about bad behaviour because I've noticed, and this is actually, when I'm on stage, I have witnessed, like, people who, uh, bad behaviour, but it's actually more from the point of view of, as an audience member, Mm -hmm. going to see other performers and seeing the way that people behave. Now, I don't know if it's a modern thing, I mean, back in the day, they were all throwing, you know, tomatoes or whatever. But honestly, some of the... I was watching... I went to see a friend of mine was in uh, Matilda, right, in the mm. West End. I thought, I'll go and have a look. Right? I hadn't seen it before. Went along, right? Brilliant show. And the, there was a point in the show where 
Matilda's on stage by herself doing a number, right? This is to get to the point where you are in a West End show, right? Mm. That is, I, I did the I did the maths on it, and I reckon it's easier to be a Premiership footballer, you know, in terms of like you know like the amount of people doing it. Yeah, it's probably easier to be a Premiership footballer, and with the amount of people that are trying to do it, right? Like the chances of being actually getting to the point where you get that gig are like minuscule, and to be playing the lead exactly, and not on top of that. Then the idea that the show, like all of the other things that have happened to, you know, somebody's had to think of the idea, get the rights to the thing, right, right, the music, right, the, you know, the yeah. people, but the stage door person has to get, all the keys have to be given. Just to get to that point is like, it's beyond, like it is beyond the comprehension of the human brain, all of the things that have to come together to get to that point. And a guy two up from me is on Google Maps. Oh, my God. Looking at how he's going to get to, like, I could not, you know, and I'm not I'm not an angry or an aggressive man, but I'd snap. i snap. I'd, Oi, put it away. Put it away. Just... And I, I went, I took the kids to see uh, Aladdin mm-hmm. and there was somebody with, somebody took their shoes off <laughs> and had the shoes up on the velvet. That, like I was, uh, I went to see another show and the person next to me was like fidgeting with their fingers. Maybe that's, that's probably why I enjoy gold class so much. It's the yeah. lack of other people. <laughs> but there is a contract, I think, between an audience and the people on stage. It's not just the other way. They, they haven't just paid to see something and therefore they have all the rights. In a way, the show on stage relies as much on the audience participating and doing the right things for it to work yeah. as the other way around. Yeah. When I go to the theatre, I'm an enthusiastic participator. Yeah. I will cheer, I will shout more at the end and clap and stand, give people standing ovations. Stand up. Even if I've just had a reasonably nice night out. But some people, some people are a little bit timid. Because there's nothing worse. I don't know if you find this. <laughs> there's a thing, and it makes me laugh a lot, right? It's great getting a standing ovation, but what I respect more is I finish the show, I go, good night, everybody, and two people will go. Right in the middle, yeah. boom, they're up, starting the standing ovation. <laughs> and they look around and they look to the right, look to the left, and there's a moment where they, and the people next to them go, nah, not so much. You know what I mean? And they yeah. just go like, and then those people are left in that situation. Do we stay or do they do the, <laughs> do they do the, the, the best one I ever had was a guy down the front. He stood up, he's like, yeah. And he realized, and even his wife looked up as if to say, yeah, we don't do that here. We don't. And he sort of, <laughs> and he sat back down, but he didn't do it slowly. But the chair, the spring, had, it, it had gone up. You know, the theatre yeah. seating had gone up. So he sat back down. He just hit the floor. <laughs> he was just, he was, he was lying on the floor, and and he sort of, you know, like when people like trip over something and they style it out, yeah. and they just look back and go, oh, "What was that? I tripped over?" This fella, he just stayed on the floor like he meant to. Like so I'd, I'd, I'd do this at the end of the show. I like to just lie. I just like to lie there and I like to watch from the floor, you know. So, uh, but yeah, people it, it, certainly. I would say, like a stand up. You know, it's one person. If you don't want to stand, don't stand. Whatever. But if it's a musical. Especially if it's a big cast and there's a full band, get on your feet. Yeah. If, if you've watched people for two hours dancing, mm-hmm. then there was one night 
I was not one night I was on stairs doing Young Frankenstein in West End. It was one night, and me and Hadley, who's playing the doctor, I was a hunchback. The two of us, right, were in the middle of a dance routine. A dance routine, which, by the way, I I had dance lessons for two months before rehearsals, mm-hmm. and then six weeks of rehearsal. We was doing that eight times a week, and mm-hmm. we were in the middle. I was literally like in the middle of dancing, and I looked down. There's a fella just flicking through the program. Oh. He's just flicking through the... Now, fair enough, he might have gone, oh, I've come to the wrong show. Now, fair enough. <laughs> or he might have gone, as... these people are really good. I can't remember his name. What is his name? I'll just Yeah, yeah. Or, or he's just gone, that can't be noble dancing. Hang on. I, did, <laughs> I, didn't, know he was, I d- didn't know he was flight of foot. Hang on. That's been, that's been a mistake. Yeah. But honestly, you look down, you see people's faces lighting up. But weirdly, I can I find it easier to let it go when I'm on stage because I just mm. think rude. But it's the cinema as well. Mm-hmm. People who go to the cinema and they leave the rubbish in the, you know, they finish. Just leave leave all your shit on the seats. Just put it in the bin. Like when did that? When did that become? Except like people just go, oh yeah, that. The, the, or somebody comes through and tidies it up. Yeah. Just get you get get your crap. There's a bin at the door. Same on trains, same all over yeah. the place. Why? Why? You wouldn't dream, like, somebody throwing rubbish in the street. I'm not, I, mean, I know some people do it, but nowadays, if you throw it, somebody go, oi, pack it in, put it in the bin. Somebody would have a word. Mm-hmm. But in cinemas, it's theatres. Oh, just leave me Maltese's packet. What? <laughs> what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with people? It's true. Like, the cleaners, the, you know, and half the time, it's not the... It's not specific theatre cleaners. It's the ushers who do the once-over before the cleaners come in. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, people. Like, <laughs> it's just, Although you know, I have to I've say, had... occasionally there are moments. I have in my own time just occasionally objected to something in a theatre so much that I felt that I had to, well, vocalise it. Right. My children were involved a long time ago in a singing group. And they quite enjoyed yeah. going. And then they said, we're doing a concert of this singing thing. And I thought, OK, so all the parents and their relatives all turned up. We packed this place out to watch yeah. our children sing, as you would do. And we were a very enthusiastic crowd. And the people who were in charge of this singing group then came forward, did a badly rehearsed song with all the children, where the children all looked as miserable as sin. Uh-huh. Then they all sat down, and then these people, the bloke got a guitar out, and him and his wife, who were in charge of the singing group, started doing a concert of them singing things like what? Yellow Bird and stuff. What? After about five minutes, I turned to my wife and said, we haven't paid to come and see these people sing, have we? They're the people who are just conducting. And she said, shush, 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 shush. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to shush. no. <laughs> No, no, I want to see my children sing. I mean, all yeah. these people are here only to see children. We're not here to see them sing Yellow Bird. Yeah. And uh, I'm afraid after about 15 minutes of this, with my children still sitting on stage, I showed up and said, sorry, are you going to sing another song? Oh, brilliant. And they went, oh, well, yeah, we're going to do, you know. I went, no, 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 we're all here to watch the children sing. So can you please put your guitar down and do some songs with the children, please? Amazing. Wow. I love it. And actually... Some bloke behind me went, yeah, quite right, mate. And then a little round of applause started. So I think, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I love it. My children have still never forgiven me. Well, you know what? However much they haven't forgiven you, that has literally put sunshine in my heart. Because (laughs) I, like, I actually, my mate couldn't believe that I did this. We went to see a show 
And this woman was, she's fidgeting with her hands. And I clocked, I thought, is she all right? Is this like a, is this like a neurological thing? Am I being, but I thought, no, she's just annoying. And I turned around and I went, that's going to have to stop. (laughs) (laughs) And my mate was like, sorry, what did you just, and I just went, I said, sorry, like, I really want to see this show. And whatever that is, is really annoying it's going to have to stop. And she was like, oh, I didn't realise I was doing it. And then we came back after the interval and like the people around me were like looking going, I cannot believe that is so, like you could see people going, Jesus, I can't believe he said it. And then we sat there and she did it a little bit and the show hadn't started yet. And I just went, do you think you might like to swap seats with your friend? (laughs) And she did. I bullied her. I bullied She went, okay. And she moved on. I went, lovely, like that. And you could see the guy, like, two seats down, like, oh, great. So now I've got the freaky frigida. And then then at the end of the show, you you stood up to go, and there she was, hanging from the balcony. Still twitching, though. As she was hung there, she was twitching. And even that annoyed me. I went, come on, let's get the rigor mortis going. What are you playing at? I do it all the time. I do it in cinemas. I go, nah. The phone comes out, my favourite one. So the phone comes out and I go, I put my head between the seats, you know, so it's like you're right on someone's shoulder. And I go, turn it off, turn it off. I go a little bit statham, you know. You've never been stabbed? Never. You, you know what? In that moment, I get such a, I just get such a rush of, it's the closest I'll ever come to. Uh, like you used to be in the SAS. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, now or, you see. If, it's literally just, I reach forward and the person sat there, they get their phone out and you just hear, and then their neck just drops. There's a whole, there's a whole row of kids just with their faces in the popcorn. When you're gone, your children are going to use this as evidence, you see. He even knew how to break a neck. It's on this podcast, yeah. look. I'm very polite to start with. I just say, excuse me, no. You know, <laughs> there's no need for it. And the other thing is, here's the other thing. As like when I was saying that, like you know, with a musical, but also like it's with films. When I walk out of cinema, and I hear somebody say, "Oh, that was a bit shit," I feel like saying, "Whoa, just, <laughs> just listen, right?" I feel like stopping them and going, "Right, for that movie to happen, it's a miracle for that to even exist." Not just the technology of shining lights to make that to, to for it to be projected onto the screen. <laughs> the amount of people with radios standing in the rain waiting for clouds to move out of the way. Like, yeah. and this is not just some this is not being some like lovey actor just going, Oh, it's so hard. The bloke <laughs> that has to get up before all the actors even get the guy that picks up the actors mm-hmm. in the car. At four o'clock in the morning, he's got to be up at two o'clock to make sure the car's defrosted to get the, the and the, uh. bring them together and for the and then somebody has to put a poster and make sure everyone's names is right <laughs> and it's like for that to happen, even the shit, even Battlefield Earth that stands there, <laughs> that stands there as a reminder to us all of what it's like. It's a miracle. And you're literally going, yeah, it's a bit shit, that. Do you know how many, that, those special effects, even if you hate special effects movies, somebody went through every single frame of that film and put the tiniest bit of smoke coming off the back of the wheel that was, 
yeah. what are you doing? Can we just have a bit of acknowledgement? Yeah. Yeah. So if we could put that in, that would be nice. I think you've made your point. <laughs> I've smashed the computer now. Look at that. Oh, God. Oh, Ross. Yeah. All right, I'm going to definitely put disrespectful or badly behaved audience members into the time yeah. capsule as a Thank thing you, you want to get rid of. And that's it. Oh. We've finished your time capsule. So all I have to say to you really is, um, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? <laughs> you were right. Did I get you? You were absolutely right. Yes. What, a ma- what a massive waste of oh, time. That brilliant. God, we did. Oh, that, that's long. That's long. Just put the rant. Just put the rant on at the end, just as a separate... That's a ringtone. You know, I'll I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. About an hour ago, I forgot we was doing a podcast. (laughs) I I, 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 I thought we was just having a chat. There's like, my my deepest apologies. If you've got this far... I do, I do. I deeply apologise. It's just having a chat about stuff. Oh, Ross. Thank you so much, mate. It's lovely to see you. Thanks for having me. Keep well. Likewise. You have been listening to the 100th episode of My Time Capsule with me, Michael Fenton-Stevens, and my very special and fantastic guest, Ross Noble. And, oh, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but if you enjoyed this episode, there are 99 others available on Acast or your own favourite podcast provider. Oh, I did mention it. Oh, right, fair enough. Still, you can subscribe now for those episodes and the next 100. Obviously, we appreciate it when people rate the show or even leave a short review. And you can follow My Time Capsule on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Just look for at MyTCPod. This was a cast-off production, and the producer is John Fenton-Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music. It's available in full on Spotify. Now, if you've ever listened to this part of the podcast, you'll know that I usually make a rather poor joke here. Not today. Thank you to each and every one of you for listening to our podcast, and for all the wonderful messages of encouragement you've taken the trouble to send us. We managed to do nearly all of the 100 episodes in just over a year, and most of them during lockdown without any real knowledge of whether anyone would listen at all. So thank you. Oh, and in case you wondered, the signed photo of Laurel and Hardy that Ross put in his time capsule was not from the film Sons of the Desert, but from their other classic feature film, Bonnie's Scotland. Another example of the fact that when I'm absolutely certain about something during this podcast, you can put money on it that I'm actually wrong. Did I mention this was the 100th episode? Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 